Well, let me just begin by saying there are some great sayings that have been attributed to mothers over the years. And I read an article this week I thought was pretty good. But it, now I need to preface my remarks by telling you uh, not every mother has the gift of mercy. Okay? Uh, mine did not. And, and she passed that down to me. Uh, well, so I'm just going to give you that heads up. Uh, one writer, uh, one lady said, if I ever voiced disapproval of a photo of myself, my mother always had a ready reply. You want a better picture? Get a better face. <laughs> oh, thank you, mother. Now, some of you are a little slow, and you'll just have to think about this one. Mom, you're invading my personal space. Mom said, you did too. <laughs> you'll, you'll get it later on. Okay. Uh, one person, uh, mother said, I'm leaving for the weekend, so I hid $100 in your room for food. Clean it up and you will find it. <laughs> oh, I like this one. On my wedding day, my mom told my, uh, my bride, no refunds, no exchanges on sale items. That's right, Mama. But here's perhaps my favorite. Be nice to your brother. You may need a kidney someday. <laughs> that is so very true. Well, moms can come up with some great sayings. We all know that. Um, but perhaps one of the greatest sayings ever came, uh, not from a mother, but from a man whose most famous hymn we will sing today as our invitation hymn, John Newton. And perhaps you've heard this statement before, and perhaps I've even shared it before, but you'll hear it again. John Newton said this, There are three wonders that I shall behold when I get to heaven. Three wonders. First of all, the first great wonder will be I will see many people there that I did not expect to see there. The second wonder is that I will miss many people whom I did expect to see there. And the third and greatest of all wonders is I shall be shocked to find myself there. Well, do we have the same wonders? When we get to heaven, will there be people there whom we did not expect? I think, yes. We will find people there whom we did not expect to see. I think we shall also wonder why there are some people there we thought would be there. And will we find it surprising to find ourselves there. The passage we're going to study today uh, deals with belief and judgment. And I will also preface my reading of scripture and my sharing of this sermon with the phrase that this is one of the toughest of all passages that I will ever share with you. Now, in my humanness, I probably would have said, let's skip over to chapter 13 and begin with verse 1 of chapter 13. But I'm not going to do that. I've told you we're going to study the totality of the Gospel of John. 
We will not leave out one verse. We will study the feel-good parts, the easy-to-preach parts, and we shall study the difficult parts as well. We need to see this passage, however. Now let me also have some other preparatory remarks, please. When you come to a difficult passage, what do you do? Now I know what some of you do, just call the preacher and say, explain this to me. But what do you do when you come to a difficult passage? Certainly you do what I do. You, you seek counsel from people far smarter than myself. And so I go to the great commentators who have written uh, pass, uh, about these passages. And you can find those online. There are volumes available. There are great commentaries out there. Uh, there are some not so great commentaries out there. But one goes to these commentaries and you try to say, well, what do the scholars say this means? Hopefully you also spend a lot of time in prayer saying, Lord, help me understand this. And I've got to tell you, I have spent some time in prayer over this passage. Lord, help me share it in a way that you want me to share it. You also ask people whom you respect. Now, let me just also tell you that if you find someone who you think knows everything, run from that person. Do not walk. Because nobody understands everything about every part of the Bible. Not on this earth. So if you find somebody like that, run. Don't walk away from that person. But you must also use good interpretive principles. Scholars call it hermeneutics. And we're going to study hermeneutics and interpretive principles on Wednesday nights beginning this uh, in August when school starts back. But I, let me just give you a couple of them right now and I hope you remember these. Uh, first of all, you interpret hard or difficult passages in the light of clearer or, and more simple passages. So if you come across a difficult passage, you find other passages that are a little easier for a human to understand and you interpret that difficult passage in the light of a simple or a clearer passage. That's a main principle of hermeneutics or interpretation that uh, scholars have clarified for us over the years. Second... You interpret Old Testament passages in the light of New Testament passages. There are places in the Old Testament, as one, one uh, scholar, professor of mine many years ago said, uh, these Jewish people were in their kindergarten stage of their religious development. And while it's true, they didn't understand things as clearly as those who see it in the light of the cross. We live on this side of the cross. We, we are in the New Testament era. So interpret Old Testament in the light of New Testament. Well, here's another principle that I, I may have come up with. <laughs> if you can't figure something out, it's not God's fault. Now you can blame God. Why didn't you make that clearer? But you see, one of the great truths of life is that we are trying to understand divine truths 
And I will always tell you that Frank Page is always going to come up short as a human being trying to discern divine realities. It's not God's fault. It's my lack of cognition, my lack of uh, cogency. It's my lack of understanding. It's not God's fault. So I say we should always say, well, I just don't understand some things. So back to that point. You've got to trust God that he knows what's best for us. You must trust that what he says never contradicts itself because that is not possible. And even in our passage today, it looks self-contradictory, but it can't be. It's not because God's word never contradicts itself. Only our lack of understanding is the issue. So I've told you, Dale, Dale always says, I have a question. And what do I always say, Dale? I have an answer. But my answer might be, I don't know. I've told you that here. I may say, I don't know. And there are things I don't know. And there are things about the Bible I don't know. So, given those preparatory remarks, did you follow me pretty good there? We now come to John chapter 12, the latter portion of John 12. Beginning with verse, verse 37. Uh, yes, we come to verse 37, going through verse 50, the end of that chapter. And remember Jesus in, in John 12 has been in the Passover festival, the feast time. And he's already gone through a number of dialogues with various persons. And he comes to verse 37 it says, Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. But this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet who said, Lord, who has believed our message and who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? This is why they were unable to believe. Because Isaiah also said, He has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts and be converted, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and he spoke about him. Nevertheless, many did believe in him, even, though, even among the rulers. Now look at verse 42. This is pivotal. Many did believe in him, even among the rulers, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. So that they would not be banned from the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. You can write out to the side, so sad, so tragic, but so prevalent. Then Jesus cried out, the one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. 
If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't accept my teachings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself has sent me, has given me a command as to what I should say and what I should speak. I know that his command is eternal life. So the words that I speak, I speak just as the Father told me. Just two major points, but they are important. There's the issue of belief. And then last, we'll see there's the issue of judgment. The issue of belief. Look at verses 37 and following. It's a key passage, and the word believe is one of the key words. It's used eight times in this segment of Scripture. So he has a lot to say about belief, and yes, he has a lot to say about unbelief. In spite of the clear evidence that Jesus had presented to them, Miracle after miracle after miracle. Many closed their eyes in unbelief. Though they heard his message and saw the miracles, yet they would not believe. And so John picks up passages too from Isaiah chapter 6 in a way to explain the unbelief of the leaders of Judaism. And he says some frightening things that look harsh. Makes it seem as if the desire of God is that people not believe. And yet we know from the totality of our study that is simply not true. I've told you I read the Bible through every year. It's just what I need to do and what I chose to do. I started it in uh, January the 1st. Most of you were not born then, 1974. How many years have I read the Bible through? I don't know. I can't count that high. Somebody has to help me figure that out. So, huh? Jake, can you figure that out? 1974 to today. How many years is that? 46. Okay, 46. Is it really 46? Okay, thank you. So 46 times. So I read, it's, it's planned every day what I read. It's a little section of the Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs every day. And I have an uh, app on my phone, you see, that helps me. It's a one-year Bible. You can buy them and you can, they're free plans. You can do it in a lot of different ways. But this morning, I was in John 6. And does God want people to believe? Well... What does he say in John? I think it was John chapter 6, verse 40. What does he say in John chapter 6, verse 40? He said, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have what? Eternal life. And I will raise him up on that last day. So we've seen so many passages like John 6 verse 40 that I read even this morning where Jesus, the Son, says the will of the Father is for people to have eternal life. 
That's what God wants is for them to believe. Well, here's the issue. What is believe mean? What does believe mean? That is the issue that I think Jesus is talking and John is talking about here. For you see, when a person begins to resist the truth, something begins to change inside him or her. Something begins to happen. One writer called it judicial blindness. God does permit this change to come over a man or a woman. And friends, if anything today, we should understand it's a serious thing to treat the message of God lightly. It is not something to be played with. It is a serious thing because we can miss the opportunity. The Bible is clear here. And I not sure I like it. I wish I could say to you today that you'll never miss an opportunity. You'll always have a chance. But the Bible says seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So the scholars that I studied in verse 39 and 40 They said, you know, it does seem like the desire of God here is that people not believe. But this prophecy not only describes unbelief, it explains it. John does quote from two passages in Isaiah chapter 6, which were the uh, inauguration of Isaiah, the, the, the sending forth of the prophet Isaiah, that point out that unbelief is the result of the rejection of light. And God is not going to save people who have rejected him. It is the ultimate unpardonable sin. Now as a pastor, I've had people over the years, oh, have I committed the unpardonable sin? What is the unpardonable sin? The Bible says it is a rejection of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. It's a rejection of the salvific, there's a, adjectival use of that word, the salvation of the Lord. It's a serious issue. Unbelief is the rejection of the light. It's the result of the rejection of the light. And the act by the law of God gradually makes belief impossible after you reject it so long. God offered salvation. And yet many obstinately refused it. One scholar said that that God here is talking about effect rather than intention. He's showing what does happen rather than what God wants. We read in John 6 and John 3, 16 and so many places what God wants. He wants people to be saved, but he also gives people free will. And if they say no long enough, they can put themselves in such a hardened position that no longer they even hear the word of God anymore. It is not God's desire to alienate his people. But without the, author of, uh, the offer of faith and repentance, they would never turn. So we see the cumulative effect of unbelief in this hardened attitude. So can it ever be too late? Here the Bible seems to indicate it can be too late. And from a human standpoint, 
you can reach the point where you've said no so long that God walks away. Friends, let me tell you, we should pray for everybody we know that they have not come to that point. And pray that something would soften their heart somewhere, somehow, some way. What is belief? What does it mean to believe? I am so tired of the easy believism that we see in modern day Christianity. If you just say you believe, you'll go to heaven. Oh, really? Who told you that? The Bible says in several places, such as Matthew 7, 21, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. It's not enough just to say some trite, magical phrase. Even James chapter 2, verse 19, he said, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. But even the demons believe and tremble. Are you going to be in heaven with demons? Well, no. But they believe. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that he, that he did the miracles that he did, performed the miracles. He, he, they believe all of that. But they will not be in heaven. Why? Because their hearts were hardened like so many men and women I know. And they may believe, but they don't believe. They may believe intellectually, but they've never trusted God with a relationship. It can be too late, my friends. And I cannot tell you how serious this is. I cannot tell you how serious this is. Why do you think Billy Graham upset so many people when he said something like this. He said, I believe 75% of church members are going to die and go to hell. It upset so many people. Well, I would never say that, Brother Billy, and I love Billy Graham. He was my hero, my mentor, because I don't know people's hearts. And I believe I'm going to be like John Newton. There are going to be people there I didn't think were going to be there. And there are going to be people that are not there I thought would have been there. And I'm just going to say, Lord, thank you for letting me squeak in somehow. People talk about, I want a mansion on the hilltop. Let me tell you, Frank Page, just be glad to have a cot in the corner. I'd be glad to have a cot in the corner, and I will call myself blessed. I don't judge. You cannot judge. You don't know another man or woman's heart. Don't ever put yourself in that position. You are not qualified. I am definitely not qualified. None of us can know. But I'm telling you there are a lot of people who have given words to the Lord that do not equate with what's in their heart. You've seen it. I've seen it. You know it's true. You know it's real. So Jesus here says, please take this seriously. And in verse 41, 42, 43, we see the startling words as John says that Isaiah saw Jesus and spoke of him. And Jesus here equates himself with the Lord so over and over. But there were those who would not believe and those 
There were those who would not openly confess Christ even though they had believed in one way. Look at verse 42. It's one of the most frightening verses in all of Scripture. And if I'm scaring you today, good. Look at verse 42. Nevertheless, many did believe, but they did not what? Confess. What does the Bible say in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10? If you shall believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God, you shall be saved. My friends, it's more than just an intellectual assent. Many believed, and we see in that number people like Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, who believed that Jesus was the Son of God. But they would not confess it. So it was a partial belief. Oh, my friends, some of you may be in that category even today. We confess Jesus openly at church. We sing the songs. We pray the prayers. But will we confess him in the marketplace? Will we confess him in the schoolhouse? Will we confess him in the neighborhood? There were many that believed in him, verse 42, But because the Pharisees, they did not confess him. And then he says, why? In verse 43, for they love praise from men more than they love praise from God. I ask you today, who are you? Where are you in your belief? Are you ready to believe but also to confess? Jesus is my Lord. And I will say it to anybody, anytime, anywhere, anyhow. Jesus is my Lord. It may cause me a promotion. It may cause me relationship. But Jesus is my Lord. Oh, my friends, I cannot tell you how important this is. So Jesus equates himself with God. Do you believe that I am him? Well, I'm about worn out. There's the issue of judgment. Verses 47 through 50. The issue of judgment. What does this mean? Judgment of and on unbelief is here presented as not arbitrary, not whimsical, but inevitable. And so the witness becomes the condemnation. Now Jesus is trying to be positive here. His mission was to evoke belief, serious belief, real belief. But he says the very word that was spoken by me will become the judgment. And every unbeliever will someday hear every word of Scripture that's ever been shared with them, every witness given to them, every one. I may have told you this story before. It's one of my favorites. I uh, knew of some people that were doing street witnessing in New Orleans during the Mardi Gras. Now that's a time to do some witnessing. This was a group of students were doing witnessing. And you can imagine most people that walked by them did so with derision and insult and using words that we would never share publicly or privately. And one guy tried to engage another guy and he just, he just said, leave me alone, leave me alone. So he kept on walking down the street and the witness, <laughs> I thought, man, this is a stroke of pure genius. The witness said... Excuse me, just tell me, what time is it? I just want to know exactly what time it is before you go on. 
I said, what? Please tell me what time is it? He told him whatever time, 1235. Okay, thank you. I just wanted to know because God knows the exact moment you just rejected a witness from him. And write it down and you remember it was 1235 when you said no to even listening to the gospel. That guy stopped in his tracks. He said, man, I can't handle that dude. Talk to me. I can't, I can't take that. Well, that was a bold witness for the Lord, wasn't it? But let me tell you, every unbeliever will remember, be reminded of every time a mama, a daddy, a grandma, a grandpa ever told them about the Lord. Now, I didn't grow up in a home like that. I didn't have a mama telling me about Jesus. I didn't have a daddy telling me about Jesus. I didn't have a grandma and grandpa doing that. But you may have had that kind of blessing where you were. I had other people, praise the Lord, do that for me. But they will remember and be reminded of every time there was a witness, every word of Scripture, every time they saw somebody in a stadium hold up John 3.16. They'll be reminded of every witness. So Jesus here points out the very word they have rejected will become the judge. The written word points to the living word, and that's why. Jesus came to save, but if the sinner will not trust the Savior, the Savior must become the judge. He uses the word judge here four times. So in the first 12 chapters of John, we have seen Jesus in his life in his ministry, in his miracles, his message. We've seen his desire to save lost sinners. We've considered the evidence, and I ask, have you come to the conviction that Jesus is your Savior and Lord? Not just a childlike belief that Jesus is who he said he is, but a lifetime commitment that says, Jesus, I belong to you. You're my Lord. And I belong to you. That's what it takes. That's what it takes. Please accept him before it is too late. Accept him totally, fully. Not just in some kind of magical statement. Give him your life. Give him your life. Pray with me. Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word as difficult as it may be. It speaks to the realities of life and death. Oh God, Jesus wept when he came into Jerusalem. In this very same chapter that we've read, he wept as he came into Jerusalem. And Lord, I believe you continue to weep over the hardness of hearts, over the continual rejection that you experience in the public square. Jesus, forgive us. Oh, God, help our country. We've turned our backs on you. Lord, we live in a culture that makes fun of you, that trivializes you, that sanitizes you. You came. To save the world. Not to judge the world, but you will do both. Oh God, may we today submit our lives, our hearts to you. Fully, completely. In Jesus' name, amen.